Welcome to Jay Talking, the NFC Divisional Playoff Edition. I'm Jay Sorgi. It is about 48 hours to kick off or so as we speak here. And we will go into not necessarily as much about the Packers-Seahawks matchup itself, but the history of the Green Bay Packers in this round. And it is a long one, eight decades long, when it comes to the Green Bay Packers and the NFC Divisional Playoff round. Tweet me at the letter J-S-O-R-G-I. That is the letter J-S-O-R-G-I with your thoughts of what you're hearing and what you would love to hear on this podcast. Now, typically we like to dive into sports business, sports travel, and Olympic sports, but we are doing all things Packers right now in this neck of the woods, this part of the world. Of course, being the Packers flagship, that's what a lot of what we do right now is. And when it comes to... Packers game day, you're going to be hearing the highlight version of this on the Packers pregame show, Packers preview. Uh, You'll probably be hearing this piece at around 3.45, about two hours before kickoff. But we're going to give you the unhighlighted version because of the fact that we can't put highlights from NFL games on podcasts. That is a league policy. Instead, we'll sort of go with the verbal description of it. And give you the history. And no, I was not around for all these divisional playoffs. I'm an old fart. I'm not that much of an old fart. I'm not in my 70s, for example, to take you back to the first Packers divisional playoff game that they ever played. 1941. December 14th of 1941, seven days after Pearl Harbor. The Green Bay Packers were 10-1. and The Chicago Bears were 10-1. and These two arch rivals had dominated the Western Division for basically the entire history of the Western Division. And before then, if you will, among the Western teams in the National Football League, the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears, Curly Lambeau and George Hallis' squads, they were the definition of success in the NFL when it came to the Western Division. They both finished 10-1. Each team had beaten the other once, and they beat everybody else on their schedule, which meant that they had to play in a playoff game to decide who would play in the National Football League Championship game in 1941. They played the game in Chicago at Wrigley Field. Can I tell you why? Not really. My guess is because, well, they could sell a heck of a lot more tickets at 45,000 or so seat Wrigley Field than they could at 25,000 seat City Stadium in Green Bay. Or even in 32,000-seat State Fair Park, which was the Milwaukee home of the Green Bay Packers at the time. Packers perhaps shouldn't have been worried too much about that. They beat Chicago in Chicago. The Bears beat Green Bay in Green Bay that year. So this was a very intriguing matchup, but not for long. The reason being that the Packers, after the very first portion of the game, they got boat raced. Chicago's George Hallis' squad 30 consecutive points and route to a 33-14 win over the Green Bay Packers, knocking them out of the playoffs. One of the best Chicago Bears teams of all time. They went on to win the National Football League Championship that year. Now, in this era of football that we're talking about, pre-Super Bowl era, you did not have regularly played divisional playoff games. That's because... You only had two divisions in the league, so the Western champ and the Eastern champ would play for the NFL title. The only time you'd ever really need it is if, 
as it was in 1941, both teams tied for the regular season championship, so you'd have to have a playoff game to decide it. That happened in 41 when the Packers lost. That happened in 65 when Green Bay hosted the Baltimore Colts. Each team was 10-3-1. The Packers won the season series, winning both games over Don Shula and Johnny Unitas' Colts. But Unitas wasn't even on the field for the second meeting when Green Bay won 42-27 on December 12, 1965. You go back to one of our Packers replay stories from earlier this year. We talk about that. In fact, we talk about it in a previous Jay Talking episode with Wisconsin sports historian Tom Andrews. This was the rematch of that game, the third meeting between the two teams. They played in Milwaukee. They played in Baltimore. The Packers won both. This one was in Green Bay the day after Christmas, 1965. There was no Johnny Unitas, quarterback for Baltimore. There was no backup Gary Quazzo at quarterback for Baltimore. They had to go with running back Tom Matty at QB. So what Shula did was set up a playlist right on the wrist plate of Tom Matty so he could just quickly check his plays. Remember interviewing Matty back in 2010 for a Packers replay story, and he talked about the fact that we were discussing this game, how Ray Nitschke was trying to rip that playlist off of Matty in order to mentally get him out of his game. And I think Matty put it as something like, what do you need a playlist for, you punk? As the words that Nitschke told him when they were on the field. I'm sure that was a bit of a G-rated version. <laughs> anyway, the Colts were down to their third-string quarterback, which was a first-string running back. The Packers had a first-string quarterback in Bart Starr for a play. He threw a pick six and actually got knocked out of the game while being blocked during the pick six. A linebacker named Michael Stonebreaker breaking basically Bart Starr's capability to play, bruising his ribs, not breaking them, but bruising them, and forcing Zeke Bratkowski in the game. It suddenly became a defensive contest. Baltimore took a 10-0 lead. The Packers answered back with a touchdown, I believe by Paul Horning in the third quarter. And then came the final drive of regulation, where Zeke Bratkowski marched the Packers down the field for a field goal attempt by Don Chandler. The referees say Don Chandler made the field goal. The Baltimore Colts vehemently argue to this day that he didn't make the field goal, that it went wide right. Now, at the time, the goalposts were much shorter than they are now. In fact, it was this particular field goal that Chandler made or missed, depending upon your perspective, that led to the NFL extending the height of the goalposts in order to be able to tell whether a field goal is good or not. Had there been replay, it would have been a very intriguing judgment call on the part of a replay official in New York City. Of course, there was no replay at the time, so the call stood. Baltimore actually got the football first in overtime when they went into the extra period tied at 10. They missed a field goal. The Packers got their opportunity. Zeke Bratkowski, who passed away recently, by the way, he led the attack for Green Bay, set Don Chandler up for a 25-yard field goal in the final stretches of overtime. This one went through the goalposts no problem. A 13-10 overtime win, and the Packers would go on to win the NFL championship 
over Cleveland a week later. Fast forward two years to a time when the NFL made dramatic changes in its league structure. This was the second year of the NFL-AFL merger. It was also the year that the, Pack- that the Packers were among 16 teams in the National Football League, not just 15. So in a nod to, I guess, what's happened today with conference structures, the NFL went with a 16-team, four-division format. Great trivia question. What were the names of the divisions? Well, you have the Green Bay Packers in the Central Division with the traditional teams that they're actually sharing the NFC North with now, Chicago, Detroit, and Minnesota. Then you have the other division in the Western Conference, that being the Coastal Division, that being the L.A. Rams, San Francisco 49ers, No, there were no Seahawks or Arizona Cardinals at the time. So you had the Baltimore Colts along the East Coast in the Western Division, in the Coastal Division, along with the Atlanta Falcons. The East was just as questionably geographically lined up. You had the Capital Division, with the nation's capital, Washington, along with arch-rival Dallas, New Orleans, and Philadelphia. And then you had the Century Division, Cleveland, the New York Giants, Pittsburgh, and the St. Louis Cardinals. So that meant you would have four teams making the playoffs. They had each division champion make it. There were no wildcard teams at the time. So the winner of the Central, the winner of the Coastal, would play for the Western Conference title. The Packers at 9-4-1 were the Western Conference champs. Sorry, the Central Division champs. The Rams at 11-1-2 were tied with the Baltimore Colts for the best record in the National Football League. But because of the tie-breaking system, which they used for the first time ever in the NFL, the Rams made the playoffs with a 1-0-1 direct head-to-head record against Baltimore. And the Colts, who had the league's best record, Miss the playoffs. The Rams were going into their playoff game against Green Bay on a high. They had just beaten the Packers two weeks before. They had just blown out the Colts the week before and were a road favorite going into Milwaukee to play the 9-4-1 Packers. Back then, they determined home field on a rotating basis in between the division champions, not best record. Had it been the way it is now at best record, it's Green Bay and L.A. Nevertheless, they played the game in 20-degree Milwaukee. Vince Lombardi may have had his best coaching job of his career that day. He used one of St. Paul's epistles in the New Testament to inspire his team, with the morphed version of it being run to win, the idea of run that you may obtain. He changed his running game for the week when it came to innovations to the Packers' offense. They were a zone-read team in a lot of ways. It was mainly running outside with sweeps, but with the capability to cut back so there wasn't a predetermined hole for the Rams to try and attempt and read. With the current with the system they went with that day, it was predetermined holes with double-team blocking. 
Yeah, double-teaming Deacon Jones, double-teaming Merlin Olsen, two of the greatest to ever play their position, two guys that were side-by-side, and the Packers pulled it off. They opened hole after hole for Travis Williams and Chuck Mercine. They combined for three touchdown runs in a 28-7 win over the Rams in what may have been Lombardi's best coaching job for a single game. That win propelled them to a three-game run to a record third straight championship, something which no team's ever done before. The Packers were 2-1 and one at that point in the division round. They played 16 of those games since. I don't necessarily have as much perfection of memory and recollection when it comes to the others, just because I'm an old-school Packers nerd. I'll be upfront with that right now. But we'll go down the list. December 24th, 1972, at Washington. The NFC Central champion Packers going into the nation's capital, and George Allen, Washington's head coach, knew what was coming. He knew the Packers were going to try and run the ball with John Brockington and MacArthur Lane. That's what drove them to the division championship, was a power running game. He knew the Packers couldn't throw. Scott Hunter was their quarterback that year, and he was one of the worst starting quarterbacks in Packers history. I will be blunt about that. That is no judgment on the man. Probably a very good man. But he simply did not have the skill set to be a playoff caliber quarterback. George Allen knew it, and he put Washington in a five-man defensive line and dared the Packers to throw. And they couldn't. And they got nowhere on offense. Washington won 16-3, went on to Super Bowl seven, and lost to Miami. 1982, January 16, 1983, the divisional playoff round in the Super Bowl tournament, the 16-team tournament that the NFL came up with after the strike-shortened season, and the team that would have won the NFC Central, the Packers, played what otherwise would have been a wild-card team in the Dallas Cowboys. But because there were uneven schedules in terms of how many division games you played, how many conference games you played, they basically got rid of the divisions and just had one big conference of 14 teams for the NFC, one for the AFC, and teams were simply seeded by record. And the Cowboys had a better record than the Packers, so they played the game in Dallas. It would have been played in Green Bay had they used the regular format. Instead, they play it in Dallas. The Packers' explosive offense did show up a few times, but was turnover prone. Lynn Dickey threw a couple of costly interceptions. Dallas wins 37-26. As would happen, that would be the first loss in a period of nine losses in ten games for the Packers at Texas Stadium. Two more would come the next decade as the upstart Packers with Brett Favre, Reggie White, Mike Holmgren, Leroy Butler and company would run into a buzzsaw of the Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer coached, yes, Barry Switzer buzzsaw. I can't believe I'm saying that phrase, Dallas Cowboys team, but they were good. I mean, they were dynastically good. 1993, the Cowboys on their way to winning a second straight Super Bowl they beat the Packers 27-17 in a game that wasn't that close. 
1994 divisional playoff, January 8th, 95. Dallas destroys Green Bay, 35-9. Troy Aikman had a day to remember, day of a lifetime. Alvin Harper, I can still see him running on a 95-yard touchdown pass. I think he headed to New Mexico before he stopped running. Dallas basically stomping their boot on the Packers until Green Bay didn't draw the Cowboys in the 95 Divisional Playoffs. Instead, they got the defending champion San Francisco 49ers. And they owned him on the road, no less. 27-17. Brett Favre throwing for 299 passing yards. Couple of touchdowns. Craig Newsom. Really starting things off, forcing a Derek Lavelle fumble and taking it to the house for a scoop and score that put the Packers on their way to telling the rest of the world they were a playoff contender. Then came the next year, a magical year of 1996. The Packers were the number one seed entering the 96 playoffs. They had home field advantage, and San Francisco had to come up to play in the mud of Lambeau Field, and Desmond Howard became the master of the mud in the first quarter. First time he touched the the football, first time any Packers player touched the football with their hands that day, he took a punt and raced 71 yards for a touchdown to give Green Bay a 7-0 lead. Later that quarter, he takes another punt, 73 yards, and sets up Brett Favre to Andre Risen for a touchdown pass. Packers win 35-14. They go on to win the Super Bowl that season in one of the most underrated teams in the history of the NFL. Historians underrate them because they went 13-3. They were in the shadow of the Lombardi Packers. But think about it. Number one offense in the league. Number one defense in the league in both scoring and yardage. And they won their final eight games all by double digits. The only team in NFL history to do that. 97, they were supposed to be on their way to win a second Super Bowl. We'll spare you what happened in that Super Bowl. But to get there, they went through Tampa Bay, and their defense dominated. Reggie White and company tore up Trent Dilfer and his fellow Buccaneers 21-7. Then came a four-year wait where they got to the divisional playoffs. They get to St. Louis against the top-seeded Rams. And really boat race themselves. Brett Favre's worst day as a pro. Six interceptions as the Rams destroy Green Bay, 45-17. Two years later, another painful loss. This one, one of the most painful in the history of the franchise. They had Philadelphia dead to rights. Final drive of regulation. They're in Philadelphia territory, but they decide to punt on a fourth and one instead of go for it with running back Amon Green. Now, I don't blame the Packers for punting there. Why? Because so many instances that year, Philadelphia's defense faced fourth and one situations and stymied teams. And Mike Sherman knew it. Strategically, he made the right call. The problem was the Packers' defensive execution on one particular 4th and 26 when Philly got the ball back and Donovan McNabb completed a 26-yard pass to keep the drive alive to set up the field goal to tie the game. 
Then what does Brett Favre do in overtime? Pop flies an interception he had no business throwing. And David Akers broke the Packers' hearts again in overtime 20-17. to 2007, heck of a lot happier. Seattle Seahawks coming into Lambeau Field. Mike Holmgren's squad two years beforehand had gone to a Super Bowl. They're trying to get revenge for the Matt Hasselbeck. We're gonna, we want the ball. We're going to score game where he throws a pick six to Al Harris. Dreadlocks in his wake, as Wayne Larravee called it. And it was the most perfect scene you could imagine on that January 12th afternoon. As the sun goes down, the snow falls on Lambeau Field. As the Packers score 42 unanswered points to blow out Seattle 42-20. to Sadly, that was Brett Favre's last win. Aaron Rodgers got his first shot in the divisional playoffs on January 15th, 2011, in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Top-seeded Atlanta Falcons, the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. And Aaron Rodgers has the day of his life. 31 of 36, 366 passing yards, three touchdown passes, and a touchdown run. That was the day he said, I am one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play this game. And let your eyes speak that to the truth. 48-21, the Packers destroy Atlanta and route to winning Super Bowl 45. Everyone thought they were going to be doing the same thing to the New York Giants next year at Lambeau Field in the divisional playoffs. The number one seed, they were 15-1. and They had won 21 of their previous 22 games. Nope. The Giants front four comes into Lambeau Field and just demolishes Aaron Rodgers on a day where he was human. He was mistake-prone. The Giants took advantage. Meanwhile, Eli Manning and the Giants' offense, they were on point all day long. Giants win 37-20. to They go on to win Super Bowl 46 and beat New England. The next year was the Colin Kaepernick debacle. I'm actually talking about on-the-field debacle, by the way. I'm not talking about the anthem issue. Packers going to San Francisco, take on the eventual Super Bowl-bound 49ers, and Colin Kaepernick hands the Packers their heads. 444 combined yards passing and receiving. Four combined touchdowns. Nearly by himself, he outscores the Packers in a 45-31 win. That wasn't that close. 2014... A much happier day for Packers fans. The day that Dez caught it, but not really. Packers host Dallas in a divisional playoff. Packers are up 26-21, about four and a half minutes left. Tony Romo completes what they think is a touchdown pass to Dez Bryant. When the referees review the play and say he didn't make the proper football move, After attempting to catch the pass, it squirts out. And the Packers get the football back, and they win 26-21. Now, I contend, as Mike McCarthy actually contended, the new Cowboys coach, Packers coach, of course, at the time, that Des, by the eye test, truly caught it. And they should have ruled it that way. 
But the Packers had scored on each of their three possessions previously in that second half. They were destroying the Dallas defense. And you give Aaron Rodgers that much time, he's going to beat you. Packers would have won that game anyway. 2015 in Arizona, one of the best football games I can ever remember watching, unless you're a Packers fan. Green Bay down, 20-13. to 13. And Aaron Rodgers and Jeff Janis combined, not for a Hail Mary, but for a freaking rosary. Two Hail Marys completed on one drive, including the touchdown pass with no time left on the clock that sends the game to overtime. There are Packers fans who contend to this day McCarthy should have gone for two in the win instead of the extra point in the tie because they had the momentum. And because, as so often happened in the first 10 years of the Aaron Rodgers era, the Packers would not get the football in overtime and Rodgers would never see the football at all the rest of the game because in two plays, Larry Fitzgerald takes Arizona 80 yards on two pass completions and the Cardinals beat Green Bay 26-20. Yet another day of heartbreak. The last divisional playoff was a day of success for Green Bay, though. 2016. Actually, January 15, 2017. Jerry World. Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott in a duel. A duel that comes down to the final minutes when each kicker nailed a 50-yard field goal plus. Game tied at 31. The Packers have the football. They are nowhere near in field goal range after Rodgers barely holds on to the football during a sack. And then he throws what may have been his best pass ever. Rolling left, throwing the tight end Jared Cook right along the far sidelines. Cook tippy-toes to stay in bounds while the football is about three feet out of bounds, and he makes the catch for the completion to put Mason Crosby in range for the field goal. That would win the contest. Bang. Game over. Packers win 34-31 and a team that had absolutely no business even being in the playoffs that year. They were 4-6 and six and they were a sorry football squad. And they make the NFC Championship game. Maybe in some ways a team similar to this year. A team overachieving in the one-loss column compared to their actual talent. This is to me about an eight and eight, nine and seven kind of a squad, maybe ten and six. But because they know how to win close games and win them in multiple ways, they're thirteen and three. And that I think is their best hope for beating Seattle on Sunday. The fact that they are so versatile. Because when you win playoff games, you play in these tough kind of conditions, you better know how to win in multiple ways. Many teams among the Packers in their history in the divisional round, simply didn't know how to do that. Go back to 1972, as we mentioned. They couldn't throw the football. If you don't have the ability to throw the football in this league, you're not going to win. They were not multifaceted enough to truly be an elite team. But I think that's what gives the Packers a chance in this contest and why I think they will win this divisional playoff barely over Seattle. And I may change my mind based upon the health of the Packers if for some reason Kenny Clark is out of the contest, for example. I think he'll be in. But the Packers' divisional round has been their hardest. 
10 losses in their history in the divisional round, just nine wins. They can even that total on Sunday against Seattle. You can check out a whole bunch more content on us on our Packers flagship podcast on WTMJ.com and, of course, the play-by-play with Wayne Larravee. Great podcast that he hosts on WTMJ.com with fantastic knowledge that he drops to prepare you for Sunday's game. And that game, we are going to have 13 hours on the air, starting at 11 o'clock with Wayne's play-by-play podcast, going all the way through the game broadcast with Wayne and Larry, kickoff at 540. Greg Matzik's going to host Packers OT until midnight. I'll be part of that team, too, as well. I'm Jay Sorgi. This has been Jay Talking. We will talk to you next week, hopefully discussing an NFC Championship game for Green Bay. It's Minnesota or San Francisco. So long, everyone, and have a great Wisconsin sports weekend.